Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. Uh, today, I am your guest host. This is Craig McGee. You can find me on Twitter uh, at, at cmcgee523. That's C-M-A-G-E-E-523. And I am honored today to have a very special guest. You know him. He is the star of the Draft Champions Podcast. It is Zach Roto. Zach, how are you doing this fine evening? What's going on? It's 10 p.m. I just got home, and you what I, we were talking a little bit before, but I didn't, I didn't tell you. I'm, I'm a little bit drunk right now. I just, got, I just got home, so we'll see what happens. That, that is so appropriate. I feel like the irresponsible <laughs> friend who you've handed the keys to the Ferrari here, and you're riding shotgun while I tear around, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll be okay and survive this experience. So yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to roll, buddy. Cool. That's great. So uh, just to give everybody uh, kind of a rundown here, um, obviously we've had the restart. Um, Zach is, uh, is somebody who has been focused on uh, draft champions on NFBC, which really was uh, how this uh, great podcast got started. And uh, as someone who has spent a lot of time in that, uh, I thought it would be great uh, for, you know, Zach usually hosts and, and the guests do a lot of the talking. And I feel I felt like it was a, it was a good uh, opportunity for Zach to to spend a little more time talking this time and and describe some of the things he's seen uh, on the DCs that he's done so far. So, um, you know, Zach, uh, I know you had wanted to talk a little bit about how NFBC was handling some things. Do you want to get into that first or? Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate it because it's it's sort of like a load off my back, uh, not having to talk because it's you know I, I'm a numbers guy. That's um I'm a, I'm an accountant, so I'm I'm not a talker. I'm not like uh, I'm not someone that um, is uh, has a way with words or anything. So uh, uh, I'm glad to, I'm glad to be like the guest. It's sort of like uh, relieving. So thank you for that. It's a good idea, and you have a good agenda, and I'm excited for this. Um, so thanks for having me on. It's, I'm honored as well, Craig. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I did want to, I did want to say something. Um, and I'm going to talk about, um, these free entries that the NFBC is giving to people, uh, like the, the beat, like whoever, I'm not going to name any names. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you've, you've seen like beat blank at the Rotowire online or beat them in the main event. And I'm a big advocate of the NFBC. So whatever, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, uh, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like the fact that they're giving, well, not, well, it's a good move for them. I'm not, not they're, they're businessmen and you know, I would do the same thing as they would be doing, but I'm not so much criticizing the NFBC. I'm criticizing everyone that enters these contests that will enter a beat blank contest. Why would you ever go against someone who's getting a fucking free roll in a contest. It's like playing poker against someone that's getting a free roll. So like, let's put it in perspective, like kid poker, dang on the ground. You, um, if you're, if you're going to enter like a, a 12 man poker tournament, 10 man poker tournament where he's getting a free roll, why would you ever do that? unless you just wanted to get the notoriety to play with Daniel Negreanu. That's all it is. Because if you're, if you're entering these like beat blank leagues, then you're only doing it to, to, um, to get the notoriety to like talk to someone on the chat or whatever you want to do. Or I guess the only other excuse you could have is you're going to, you figure your games like, 
Um, if you're in a 15 team league, 13 other morons that are playing again, you figure the, 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 the rest of the competition so weak because you have 13 other morons that just want to enter this league against someone that's getting a fucking free roll in this league. So take like back, back to my poker analogy. Like if you're, if you're against someone that's just getting a free roll in a poker tournament, of course they're going to, they're going to act differently. And especially in, and especially in like a winner take all, um, um, like a competition with an overall component to it where you need to take uh where you need to take some chances and, and um, win with some upside. Of course it's going to be, or it's, you need, you need balls. Like you need balls in these, um, in these um, drafts, just the same ways you need in poker. Like you need to, you need to take some risks and you can't just take all your Lorenzo Canes, Adam Eaton's and stuff like that. Like that's, that could win, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would necessarily win. So I think it's just, I think it's just kind of like, um, it ruins like sort of the integrity to, to have like uh, someone just playing on a free roll where they can just, um, it just changes how you would play. Like if I, if, if, if I were, if I were to go to a main event and um, pony up all 12, $1,200 this year or, or $1,700 in a normal year, I'd, I'd, I'd almost surely draft differently if, um, if I was playing for free than I was, than if I was playing um, with my own money. So it's sort of, it, it's sort of weird that you'd want to play against someone that's just getting a free roll, free roll, because I think it, it's inherently, in, inherently you'd be at a disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, that is not good about that is that they are, they correct me if I'm wrong on those leagues, they are entered into the overall. Is that, is that right? I don't know, but um, okay. I would assume so. And, and yeah, if it's if there's an overall component, it sort of it, it muddies the water a lot. And it does. If, and and uh, if you if you want to have a, a league with like a, if you want to have the NFBC with a lot of integrity, it, it really muddies the water. And it makes it less legitimate. If you're giving if you're letting someone like in a huge just to go back to the poker poker tournament analogies, if one person or two or three have a, have a free roll in this tournament, you're having three people on a free roll with a big high stakes tournament for the rest of you. It's, it's really just like, it's, it's not equitable. This is the best way to put it and how I feel. This is like, and this is, this is a compliment to the NFBC. They are the Royals Royce of like, um, fantasy baseball like that's it's the top notch high stakes thing. And if you want to be that Royals Royce, getting letting these free rolls especially in in the main event and even like the roto wires it just makes it less legitimate yeah and i think I, I think you hit the nail on the head there that you know this is one of the the great uh run um you know experiences on for fantasy baseball players and i think it's important that people such as yourself in in this case um, hold them accountable to that because, you know, to maintain this quality that we've come to love in this game, uh, we have to be able to, you know, hold their feet to the fire. And, you know, they, this year especially they've been in, in, a, in a tough spot with, and, and I've supported the decisions they've made. We, no, but none of us want this to go away, but this isn't that topic. This is something that has existed and isn't uh, tied any, any, in any way, shape, or form to a play stoppage or anything else. So I, I think it's important. I commend that, that you are holding people accountable. Let, let's get into kind of what you've seen. So how many uh, draft champions – um, leagues drafts have you had since uh, kind of the announcement of the restart of baseball? So would that be, um, I guess, your second chance? Yeah, I mean, second chance. I think you know we just did the uh, the battle of the podcast leagues. Um, 
you know, I, I my goal here is to kind of understand and, and give some, you know, a lot of people haven't done their drafts yet in this restart. And I, I think there's, you know, so many variables here that people kind of want to know what you've seen uh, in these latest drafts that maybe you haven't seen in, in the early drafts before um, the announcement of the 60 game season. All right. Well, um, I've done the battle of the podcast and you're, and you're in that with me with um, um, 13 other teams. And that was after, and we, we redrafted that one out of um, necessity, not out of choice. Um, and aside from that, I've done four, four second chance draft champions leagues. Um, in addition to probably close to 20 other leagues that I drafted either before the stoppage or I guess like during the March, April, May period. Cool. So, you know, I, obviously you've, you know, had quite a few drafts, um, you know, back in March, February, January. I mean, I think you and I were drafting, you know, last Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is kind of how we connected. Um, but uh, so, you know, just kind of run down your, your, your biggest observations, um, things that have changed that you, you know, what stood out as, wow, that's surprising that this trend is occurring. Well, um, I thought about this and I think that things are changing, like, especially like the early rounds aren't changing as much as it's, um, made out to be like, they're like, people can overanalyze things a lot, but the first, the first part of the draft isn't, hasn't really changed that much. Like it's really honestly negligible. The, the differences in the first, um, say, the single digit rounds. I think the differences I'm seeing are really like the, um, like when you get in these draft champions, like between pick 400 and like 750, those are the big differences. Like I'm, and even, I think I, I mentioned it to you guys. Um, um, even in the, the couple of drafts that I'm doing simultaneously, like I was in three very recent ones, including the, the battle of battle of the podcast and two other, um, second chance draft champions leagues that were all going on at the same time. So there, there was, there were players that would go like in the 400 in one league and in, in the 700 in another league. And that was just never happening before. Like in the other say 20 leagues I've done, it was much more consistent. And um, I'll give you an example of that um, because you'll probably ask um, someone like um, Michael Pineda, um, in one of the, in, well, in our league, he went, I believe like somewhere like in maybe the four hundreds, I'm guessing, I don't know, we can, we can look at that, but, um, in one of the other leagues he went, um, I took him in the very last round, like in round 50. And, um, I'm just going to do a control F, um, on our league. He went in round 33 in our league. So that's an, that's an enormous difference. And you're finding like, just, um, it's just going to be such a crazy, it's going to be such a crazy year because of, um, I guess the short season, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of different, a lot of like widely variable opinions. And you're going to see a lot of, and you're going to see this a lot, especially like in the, in the later rounds, because you're really lacking, like you're really lacking the, the experts, um, uh, like, um, content that, that that has been out there for the first part of the season before we were before um, the season stopped where everyone really had access to all the experts um, rankings and all their sleepers and everything like that but now things are sort of a free-for-all because the, these experts are really just like it's it it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to pump out all this content that's really not gonna 
um, it does, it's not as beneficial for them to pop out all this content. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I just uh, looked up the average draft position and I, and I sorted, I uh, started it just June 1st uh, to today's date. And I noticed under the, you can select the different types of leagues. There's draft champions, second chance white and second chance red. Do you know what the difference is there? Well, yes, the red is okay. So the red, I'm looking at my league because I, got, I entered the last reds. The red, so the draft champions red is what was um, put on right after they cut off the the um, the draft champions that had the big overall prize. So that said, okay, draft champions leagues are cut off at a certain point. I think it was like early April. Then we're going to start a second like a second um, tranche of them where there's 15 leagues and then there's like a, there's a smaller overall prize, but you're against 15 other teams. So these drafts started like, I believe like in May, maybe. And um, 14 of them drafted before, um, um, before the season was um, before the decision to continue the season um, occurred. So these, these drafts were happening when like everyone was like all like, going crazy, like, Oh, there's no season. I hate baseball, blah, blah, blah. So they were all drafting with no idea what was going on. And then there's, and then there was still one league left to draft. And I'm like, how can I pass this league up when you're playing against you're you're, you're playing against um, teams for an overall prize that drafted without knowing any of the information and, and I'm drafting in this league once I have, we know there's a 60 game season, we know what's going on and we're even getting information as we're drafting. So it's like a huge advantage. You're going, it's like you, you have the, you have 2020 vision against people that don't have 2020 vision. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so um, uh, I, that's the, that was the red, the draft champions red where you, um, they had 15 leagues and like, I think 14, like I said, were drafted before. And then like one started drafting, I think um, right after um, they um, decided to continue the season. It was all confirmed in late June. The white is the white draft champions is um, so they cut it off again after that. And now it's a new tranche of draft champions with a new overall prize. Like again, a smaller overall prize. Gotcha. And those started um, like probably late June and that all of those will be drafting with teams that all knew what was going on. It's a short season. People are opting out. People have COVID, exactly, et cetera. That's good. I mean, you know, I know there's been a lot of heat they've taken from, from some people. I, I think everybody is of the same mindset, though, that, you know, they have to do something. I mean, I, I know uh, you had uh, MLB moving averages on, and, um, you know, he. I, I kind of disagreed with his sentiment a little bit uh, in that, uh, I think he he thought that the opposite should have occurred, where the draft champions were reset and the roto wire onlines were were left the, uh, as they should be. And uh, that was my sentiment too. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think I feel like the these draft and hold. Are the, I haven't actually done a roto wire. I've pretty much stuck with the DCs. They're not. Um, they're fab leagues, right? Yep. So I get that that you can fix it in fab, but the entire point of the draft champions, uh, the 50 round draft and hold is that you are drafting and, uh, you know, 50 rounds so that anything that happens you can, and I get, you can't foresee a work stoppage and a coronavirus and all this stuff. But the fact is, is there's nobody added to the player pool here that is going to change the landscape of the league. Um, 
and you know, I, I, we're all in the same boat, so it's kind of fair. And I, you know, I think they did the right thing in, in that they've kind of siloed these, you know, before the COVID hit and after. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I'm in a lot of DC, so I'm glad they didn't reset them. How many are you in? Um, let's see, I'm in like five, I think. Uh, obviously, that's not that's a lot for me, so I'll say that. Um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I was in one qualifier and that got reset, which I was happy about. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like the, the worst thing you can do is be in too many fab leagues. Um, you just, you, you know, if your life gets busy, you end up missing the boat on a lot of uh, bids and um, getting schooled by people who don't have twin six-year-olds and a nine-year-old. <laughs> and so, um so let's um, let's kind of get into a little bit on this uh, Battle of the Podcast League, uh, if you're up for it. I know you've yeah. uh, talked about it quite a bit, but um, I don't think, you know, this, this league just finished drafting um, yesterday. So we now have the draft in the books. Um, you've, you've heard from quite a few of the participants. And, uh, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about uh, some of your team, at least from the top, but now it's, it's rounded into form. And, uh, you know, first, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, I know you were very happy with your first few picks and, uh, your pitching has certainly got some, some exciting players, but, uh, do you think you were able to round it out and use the later rounds to, uh, to kind of, uh, fill in some of the holes? Yeah, I like my, I like my later rounds. Um, I, I feel like you can always, you always get, you're always getting, um, I feel like you're all, I'm always getting able to able to get the, the the picks I want in the later rounds much easier than I have in the early rounds because just because of the nature of the, the later rounds people aren't targeting the same guys you're always targeting whereas um, there's just so much more uniformity in the first couple of rounds so yeah I am happy with um, the later rounds I think I I was able to um, address um, certain I guess weaknesses on my team by just bolstering um, by targeting say more um, pitching depth than uh, hitting depth because I think I started more pit uh, hitter heavy um, I guess the only thing I'm sort of upset about is Michael Kopech <laughs> you actually plucked so so uh, Zach was picking out of uh, the sixth slot and I was seventh so you know that which was kind of I thought amusing given that we we're well aware of each other's uh, players that, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you noticed that I swiped Jonathan Hernandez right before you were picking in the 48th round. Um, but then it was like instant karma because you took Jose Garcia, who I was definitely eyeballing to come back around. Were you? Because he's not he, – okay, first of all, Jonathan Hernandez, I'm not – I have never taken him. I, I, but you were the one who brought him to, into my sphere of consciousness. Um, I don't think so. I, I, then I bring in um, what's his name, um, Demarcus Evans. Ah, is that who it was. Okay, yeah. so I ended up taking. Well, so I, I didn't rob you then. So that's even oh. worse karma. On, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was not looking at him at all. Sorry, Craig. No, I, that's all right. Um, you know, I and I liked the. Uh, so I'll tell you, you actually there were a lot of players uh, in the later rounds that you um, that you took that I was definitely um, getting ready to take. Tyler Molly was one. Uh, Miles Straw could, you know, is an injury away from potentially, um, you know, contributing heavily in stolen bases. 
Uh, Ty France, I think, was a sneaky good pick given the uncertainty with how they're going to use the DH and and the second base battle that's going on there. I'm not a believer in Jerks and Profar, um, you know. And there's there's like four or five players that they could swap in there, but um, I thought that was a good pick. Uh, I thought the Patino pick was um, was a great pick. Uh, Pedro Baez was at the top of my queue and I tried to sneak him coming back. I mean, I went heavy with relief pitchers at the end of this draft. Um, and Pedro Baez was literally at the top of the queue, ready to auto draft. And you took him right after I did, uh, took, um, uh, Sam Delaplane. So, yeah. uh, I like the Baez pick a lot. I actually, am a little worried about, um, Kenley Jansen this season, given the fact that, um, you know, we've got this uh, COVID-19 situation. He did have recent serious medical concern with a heart issue, um, you know, and obviously it's, it's kind of silly and a little, you know, dark to be talking about that kind of risk, you know, when you're talking about something so um, serious as a heart condition. But, you know, we are playing a game here, and, and I feel like there is it's wise if you take Kenley Jansen to back him up with Trinan, uh, Pedro Baez, and even Joe Kelly uh, could be a player to look at there. But Yeah, there's a lot of players there. Um, I mean, hearing Baez might be the best uh, first one up, and I'm surprised he lasted that long. He's one of those guys that, like, I'm even looking at in, in fab leagues where I'm in some – some non-NFBC fab leagues that are just like some sort of shallower rosters. And I'm, uh, and I'm thinking he's one of those guys that is going to call it that, that you can save yourself a ton of fab on just by grabbing now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, in the other pick, I mean, I was the, the one that really got me was Kirilov. Um, you know, just given the fact that your boy, uh, Sano is, I mean, he is like, a reality show just yeah. I mean it just constantly there's always something I mean it's you know the term I always use with him is drama um, you know and a lot of it I, I feel bad for the guy you know he's this whole you know I mean he was went through a whole like accusation of kidnapping or something and it's just it always it's always something with him and, and he's so talented and I know you were invested heavily in him uh, early in the year and you still yeah. are <laughs> Uh, so I hope for your sake, he ends up contributing, um, you know, for, for your teams this year. But, you know, uh, getting Carroll off here kind of hedges for you a little bit. Because uh, he has taken those yeah. reps at first. He um, might be like my first year. I might have – he might be like my only one of two or tops three shares of Carroll off. But, yeah, he went he went fairly late in round 44. Um, uh and yeah, you hit on a lot of the, you hit on a lot of the players and you were, you were, you were, like you said, you were back, we were back to back drafting and you were sniping me as well. Like you took, you took my boy, Tyler Stevenson early. Well, actually not that early. You actually, I, you, you gave me a chance to take him. You took him in round 43. So I'm like, ah, I don't know if I was, I don't know if I'm as high as on him as I was when we had a full season, but he was one of the guys who were like, ah, shit, you took, you took him off me. Um, and then another guy that uh, you, the one that killed me that you took uh, away from me and you took him earlier than I've ever. And this is a guy that I have a lot of shares of like a lot, probably more than 10 shares of, which is a lot for these draft champions leagues is Brian Abreu. And um, I think those middle relievers gain value. And I think um, he, he can have any number of roles and he's just a really, really good pitcher. You took him around 37 um, 
after I took Miles Straw, and I think that was a great pick. I'm targeting him a lot, and he was one of those guys that I thought I could, I could get later, which I which I wasn't able to. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, it's I, I know we've we've had to endure a lot with this season um, so far, and waiting and finding out, and we're still not in the clear on this, but. I'm actually pretty excited for this season. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, you know, you, I, I'm, you know, I feel like there's two ends of the polar spectrum as far as fantasy participants. You have guys who, like uh, Podhoser is a perfect example. He may, does his projections and he drafts to his projections. He is absolutely committed to his numbers and, and narrative be damned. Uh, I tend to be on the other side. I mean, I'm not quite as far narrative focused as like a Nando Defino is, um, but I'm a lot more on that side where I will certainly use other people's numbers and read all of the different ways that people are, are, you know, coming up with innovative analysis. But I like the human aspect of the game. And with this season, there is so, I mean, we have no idea how teams are going to manage you know, lineups, how they're going to, um, how much rest they're going to give people, how they're going to manage pitching. Uh, I mean, our guys, you know, our middle relievers, these bulk guys going to be, you know, leading the league and wins. I mean, who knows? Um, and, and I love that about this season it is it's really about using your imagination and trying to figure out, um, which is why, I mean, in those middle rounds of guys like Brian Abreu, I mean, I was gobbling up, um, uh, uh, relief pitchers in this draft. I, I went, you know, I, I took a lot of uh, starters to begin with. I started with uh, DeGrom and Snell uh, at the first and third pick. And then I didn't take another starter till 13. And I went Haney, Urquidy, and Weaver three in a row. Uh, and then after that, I mean, upside I, guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got some guys, I mean, um, but, you know, toward the end of the draft, I got Conley, I got um, Brian Abreu, uh, Framber Valdez, uh, Sam Delaplane could, you know, be closing in, um, you know, I actually took him and Austin Adams because I, you know, it seems like every two or three years, some guy comes out of nowhere to close in Seattle and is like a top three closer. So I don't know what they, mm-hmm. how they do that, but um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like this is the year that these middle relievers could be, uh, have a tremendous amount of value. So that was kind of where I was thinking there, but um, yeah, did you, um, so we're, as far as some of the other teams, um, I thought, uh, you know, a lot of, obviously there were a lot of heavy hitters in this league, uh, which I think this was a fantastic collection of uh, industry Titans, so to speak. Uh, was there another team that you thought that you look at and you say, you know, damn, this guy drafted a heck of a team. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of good teams, and if I and I knew you're going to ask me this, so I, I looked at the teams beforehand, and it's hard because there are a lot of good teams, and I'll I'll give you two teams that I that I like just because um, a they don't have any of the landmines that I would have like not well play like my avoids in the first couple of rounds, and I really like I just like all their players and I and I like their composition, and um, besides um, mine and yours. Um, <laughs> I'll say team 13 and 14, Drew Morris and Johnny L. I like, I like both of those teams. And um, 
Um, I'll give I'll give you some reasons why. Like Morris, he uh, I really like his two starters that he started off with, um, Bieber and Giolito, just because I think if you're going to take anything, uh, and I might be jumping ahead. Um, if you if you want to read anything into the schedule, and I'm not a big like. Uh, jump to conclusions on this on new schedule. I don't. I don't want to make it with the needle, but I think if you're gonna if you're gonna pick some pick your poison under the new schedule to something that, that you want to sort of um, change change your mind on is is the as the central pitchers, and he's got two of them and two good ones, Bieber Giolito, and he was able to get both of those top end guys along with Jose Ramirez. That's gonna get you a lot of hit a lot of categories with you. Uh, hit a lot of categories for you. Um, and um, yeah, he, he routed out his team pretty nicely um, with some, some good hitters with the Osuna and Castellanos two two players that um, are moving up, but he was able to get them at, um, he was able to get both of those and, and Guriel, a lot of uh, just solid hitters. Um, so yeah, I like, I like his team just looking at the top of it. And then Johnny L like, again, like just really good pitching at, at good at, um, a really good base of pitching at um, a reasonable price. Rulander, Paddock, Monta, Fred, uh, Frankie Montas, just three pitchers I really like. And then along with um, just some, just some good, good hitters. And he's, he's really solidified his power with Soler, Sano and Reyes. So those are two teams that uh, um, I've really like analyzed the, co- the, the composition or, or done projections, but those are two teams that just like um, have a lot of my targets on them. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? It's interesting he took the twins, Taylor and Tyler Rogers. I just noticed that. Um, I know you I know you're big on the uh, Tyler. Yeah, well, I, I like I mean, I've always been a big Taylor Rogers fan. I mean, talk about drafting, you know, skill. Um, you know, he's just been such an incredible um, you know, solid uh, back of the bullpen guy for for the twins. Um, you know, there there are a few um, things on his on his team that um, I thought First of all, Matt Shoemaker in the 23rd, that guy could be a league winner uh, in a short yeah. season. If he can just stay healthy. I mean, he was like, you know, before he got hurt last year, he was going into Yankee Stadium and just shutting down the Yankees. And uh, obviously they were injured, but not everybody was doing that. And I mean, he just, you know, if he's got um, that premium pitch work, and I'm pretty sure it's a, uh, it's just, he throws a splitter, right? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Um, I mean, he could be – if he's healthy, that, that could be a guy who wins a league. Um, so, um, the team I like uh, the best was SP Streamers. Um, you know, he started out with uh, Soto and Harper. So, uh, he went with solid bats. That, and, you know, he didn't get – you know, he was the 11th team picking. He didn't get Harper at a tremendous value. But at the at the same time, there are way too many people throwing shade on Harper. Um you know, the fact is, is everybody seems to think he's this injury prone player. And, um, you know, he's probably not as injury prone as Mike Trout is, um, you know, Mike Trout constantly gets these little, little knocks, um, you know, where he has to sit out here and there. I mean, Bryce Harper had a few, you know, what I call knucklehead injuries, you know, where he's, you know, but they're not, I mean, he plays hard. 
um, and he gets hurt. So, but he's, you know, and he's kind of backed off a little bit on that. So of course they, they started getting crap for, you know, dogging it uh, on defense, but you know, it was in a contract year. I just, I think he's a solid player. I think it, it, it this is the year he probably gets comfortable playing in, in Philly, uh, puts up some good numbers. Uh, obviously getting Luis Castillo. I mean, I, it's strange that he dropped uh, farther back than he was going. He was con- uh, consistently going uh, end of second, you know, beginning of third round. And he got him, uh, you know, with five picks left in the third round. Um, and also given the fact that all these pitchers were getting pitched, uh, pushed up, I was surprised to see Luis Castillo drop like that. Um, you know, it was, uh, I thought that was good value, but it's just, you know, he's, his uh, team is just loaded with players that are, you know, on my uh, Sonny Gray, I feel like is underdrafted. Lance Lynn is just ridiculously uh, underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking at his team. I like his team a lot too. Um, just the, the top end of his team. And he took, he took Lynn uh, above slot too. Like yeah. he, he reached on Lynn, but he was reaching on the players that, um, that I like. Yeah. And, I mean, but some of the players that went around him, yeah, usually Zach Wheeler goes ahead of him, Zach Gallen. I mean, I think he went where he should go. Yeah, um, I think so, know. too. So, um, yeah, I, I like his team a lot. I mean, even – I like what he did in terms of – and this might be – I don't, I don't want to ruin my next – I don't want to ruin the answer to my, my other question. Maybe I'll jump back to it. But um, uh, another thing that – yeah, I'll jump back to it. The only, the only thing I don't like about his team is how early he took Joe Adele. Yeah, I agree. And I have Joe Adele in, in, what, in a keeper league and he's, um, I'm a little, I, I like him, but he, he took him in around 13, which I, and, and that's, that's a, to go to my point about what's been changing is like, you'll see certain players like, just like, like the, like you got to throw, like everyone's saying this, you got to throw ADP out the window and you do, uh, you look at Joe Adele's ADP and you're like, Oh, he's like, he's, he's falling past his ADP. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. that that's one of the guys we got to say like that. His ADP is straight up, hot trash right now it's it's irrelevant and um he went like like 150 200 picks after his adp and other drops just because well it's a two two month season to be fair though so this happened he he took him in round 13 this was around the time that mike trout was you know the report was that mike trout was sitting out the season oh okay Um, okay well so that does kind of, and I also think it was a bit of a panic pick. Um, not panic, but uh, if there is a weakness on SP Streamer's team, it's speed. Uh, he's got a Bo Bichette, um, You know, his first two picks, though, Soto and Harper aren't really going to contribute much to that. He took catchers early with Grandal and Will Smith. Um, I mean, you know, Joe Adele is picked in the 13th round is really the first true speed upside player. He took Chu, which I think is another player. I mean, he's got a lot of guys in here that are, that were picked around where they were supposed to be picked, but are grossly undervalued. I think Uh, Nico Goodrum could pitch in some speed. Um, But, you know, as you go down the page, I mean, he's, he's going to be, at the in the bottom of the standings in speed, but I think his his team. It's okay because it's not a there's no overall component. Right, exactly. It's it's, it's more, well, it's Appreciate more it. it's more okay, and um, I mentioned this with um, Curlin on the show. He took my boy Kevin Cron 
He was like my most owned player, but he took him like way earlier than I would ever consider taking him. And I love Kevin Crone, but I just think that was really early for him given like just considering like who else you could have taken that was still available. But I do like the fact that he, that he um, handcuffed him with Seth. He was able to get Seth Beer. And then I'm, I'm alluding to, to something that I'm going to be talking about later is just handcuffing um, something that's more important with, COVID and he's done, he's done. I think he, I think um, Simeone did a great job of, of handcuffing certain, these guys, certain guys. I'm looking at his team. He's got Kirby Yates, but he also got Emilio Pagan. So, and then he's got, he got um, Kevin Crone. He got, he got him early, but he also got some great value on Seth Beer late. And um, just looking through his team, I don't know where I'll see. I don't know where, but I'm sure he, I'm sure he was focusing on that. Like he's got, Gio Rochella and Mike Ford and I think another Yankee here. Talk. I, was, I was kicking myself when he took Drew Smiley because Drew Smiley was one of those players that I just – I kept wanting to take him. I mean, ah. there was like four yeah. rounds where I almost took him and then I committed where I was like, okay, I'm definitely taking him next round. And then he got taken. And that happens so much too when you're finally ready to take a guy and he goes right before that. So it's how uh, yeah. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not big on Smiley this year. I'm not big on any of the the Giants. I heard they're gonna not let them go that far, and they they're, they're missing Posey now. Not that I would have known that at the time, but yeah, you can speculate it. But yeah, no, I I agree. Um, SP Streamer, I like that. I like that team as well. Yeah, yeah. The, the more that uh, the fact that you've highlighted it makes me realize um, that um, yeah, it's a, a definitely a good team. Cool. Well, uh, I appreciate you um, coming up with this league and letting me be a part of it. Uh, I, I love the competition in it, and you know it is definitely one of the um, most competitive leagues. You know, if not the most competitive league that I'm in. So, uh, thanks for uh, for letting me be a part of that. Well, for sure, it's definitely a tough league. Um, yeah. One one of my toughers for sure as well. <laughs> so, uh, let's uh, move on to another topic here. Um, so obviously we touched on a little bit the unknown variables for this season. And uh, I think this is one of the most exciting parts about this season. Uh, and maybe that's a half glass full kind of approach to things. Um, you know, going into the season, we already had some things that I, aren't even being talked about right now. Like, are they going to switch the ball again? Um, you know, are Houston Astros hitters still going to get plunked when they go to Oakland. I mean, you know, these are things that were issues that we've completely forgotten about. And, you know, it's kind of like that is just so secondary now because there's so many other things to talk about, you know, pitcher usage and, uh, and various uh, other variables. So um, what are some things that you think, you know, just kind of using your imagination, looking into your crystal ball that you think we'll see, it'll be drastically different from a normal season. Well, um, I thought about this and the thing that I came up with was um, the pitcher advantage. So I think you're going to, you're, you're going to see a higher proportion than you ever have of pitchers facing hitters in the opposite league. So um, I believe it's, a third of the games that you're playing interleague. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see hitters facing pitchers that they are not familiar with more than ever. So I think you're going to see that um, pitcher, you, you might see pitching, pitching stats, despite the fact that um, 
the there's no that there's there's a DH in both leagues. So maybe taking take American League pitchers, you're they're going to face National League hitters that they that have never seen them before. So you might see those American League pitchers just have even even better better statistics, and you might be able to to target like those second tier uh, pitchers like your Frankie Montas type players, your Tyler Glass now as well. He might be even higher higher a higher echelon, but those guys might be even, even better than they might be even more value than they would be um, in other league, in other years. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that. I actually, um, I know in the, uh, one of the last podcasts you did, you brought up and I appreciate you uh, throwing some credit my way on that. When we're talking about um, the uh, handedness of uh, the, the number of lefties in each division. And uh, when they started talking about the fact that there was going to be uh, regionalized play where you had only interdivision and then the opposite, uh, you know, so NL Central and playing the NL Central and the AL Central, I started to look at that again and uh, have kind of filled in the number of lefties within each division just to kind of see if there was uh, – there were guys worth targeting left-handed potential DH, um, you know, with a limited number of lefties or, uh, you know, for the other way as well. Uh, and the way it stacks right now. So uh, the, the NL East still has five lefties in it. So that's Caleb Smith, uh, freed Hamels, Matts, and Corbin, no lefties on the Phillies uh, in their starting rotation. Um, so that still is a, but, it's a little less of an advantage now because the uh, AL East actually has the most lefties. They have mm. 11 uh, with three on Boston and, and three in the Yankees. Um, so, and obviously there's an, there's an unbalanced aspect to this that I didn't go and plug in because I, I did this um, before the actual schedules came out, but uh, NL central, the NL uh, and AL central actually, uh, gets a little bit of a boost on this as well. The uh, NL Central only has six lefties, and the uh, AL Central has seven. So combined, they actually have the least amount of lefties. Um, and then the the West is just loaded with lefties. Uh, you know, Dodgers have three. Oakland has three. Seattle has three. Um, so, you know, I think the, the advantage in the NL East for um, left-handed – uh, DH types or, you know, uh, outfielders that you wouldn't typically think of that might be in a platoon. Um, guys like Matt Joyce, uh, Eric Thames, um, um, Jay Bruce comes to mind. I think those guys, you know, in a draft and hold or, or a really deep league do get a little bit of, a, of a, an extra look, I think, uh, potential value. So, um, but that is an even more interesting thing that you, that you mentioned that I had given no thought to is, you know, these pitchers are going to get um, – the hitters are going to get exposure quite a bit to pitchers that they don't typically see. And I, I think that's a great point. Um, did you have uh, another one that you wanted to talk about? No, just the fact that um, um, I think it might boost up that second tier of pitching. You might be able to wait on pitching a little bit longer because those those – Cold the Groms, obviously they're going to be cold the Grom, but then those second tier pitching might be, you might they might be um, you might you might just get a um, 
there might be less of a discrepancy between like the different tiers of pitching just because pitching might just be um, able to accumulate the, those ratios and stats um, a little bit a little bit better than they would normally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I've um, I came up with two that I thought were were so. You know, obviously, the, one of the big changes is the DH and the NL. Um, and typically, because of pitchers hitting, you see a lot more, um, you know, bench usage of bats where you're swapping and you do the double double switch. And uh, I think that because of that aspect, you know, we've, we've assumed going into this draft season that, you know, with expanded rosters and taxi squads, that there's going to be less – Stability in the at bats, and I actually think it might be the opposite because of this one issue where you might have less, um, you know, pinch hitters coming in, less uh, in-game hitting roster uh, changes or act, you know, lineup changes um, than you would normally have. I mean, obviously, you're going to bring in. Um, you know, defensive changes when uh, when you're in a close game or you've got the lead. Um, but uh, I think there's going to be more lineup stability than people are giving credit for. Um, the The other thing that I think is potentially going to – that we might see is even less stolen bases. And the reason I think that is a lot more teams are going to be in it. And – I think the overwhelming trend that we've seen the last several years is, you know, and, and uh, analysts talk about it all the time is um, that the metrics and the analytics show that, you know, the stolen base is, can be more of a negative value than a positive one. Uh, and, you know, these front offices have clearly thought this that way as stolen bases have plummeted. Well, now with more teams in it, I think that there's going to be more, they're going to be more risk averse to taking those chances on the base path. So, um, you know, maybe only the bottom teams that are out of it early might be running a lot. Um, who knows? Um, but I, I think getting a speed guy and, um, you know, early in your draft, I think is potentially a, a huge advantage uh, more so than I was willing to give credit to before the, uh, the stoppage and everything. So, um, well, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. I think it might be hitting on your, one of your later questions about, um, our devil's advocates uh, segment. So. Okay. Well, that's a, a good transition. So, uh, you know, this is a, a new segment and, and we got a little sound bite. So, so we decided to make a change. Change. The 10th man. If nine of us look at the same information and arrive at the exact same conclusion, it's the duty of the 10th man to disagree. No matter how improbable it may seem, the 10th man has to start digging with the assumption that the other nine are wrong. And you were that 10th man. Precisely. So that was the... uh the clip from World War Z talking about the 10th man. And uh, this segment is really about, um, you know, taking a look at something that uh, the the industry, fantasy industry has a consensus on and saying, well, wait a minute, why why do we do this? And 
Uh, I actually wrote an article two years ago that, that kind of got me going with this, and it was about why everybody just assumed the Yankees and Red Sox would be uh, in the playoffs last year uh, and that they were just going to tie up two slots. And I think there was a lot of evidence to suggest that the Red Sox weren't going to make it and not to toot my own horn, um, but that's exactly what happened. And uh, so, you know, I, I feel like this is a great uh, way to kind of, um, you know, hold the rest of the industry accountable and say, well, wait a minute, why are we all think this, you know, this group think on topics. So, um, so what, uh, what is your devil's advocate argument where you are arguing against con- consensus think on a specific issue or theory? Well, I don't know if this is consensus think, but I've seen a lot of people that are respected in, in, in the, the baseball fantasy world that are, are saying this. Um, and I'll start by saying that um, in the first couple of rounds, you really want to get um, you want to get good players, but you want to really focus on safety, especially in these leagues, um, getting consistent players. That's why Trout was always the number one overall hit pick because he wasn't always the number one overall player at the end of the season, but he was always in that top, whatever, top five or whatever, regardless if Mookie Bats or Bryce Harper beat him one year, he's always there. So it was always, he's the number one pick and you want to, you want to get safety. And I've seen a lot of people say that um, they're boosting Trey Turner up to the number three overall spot. And they're, they're saying, um, Alberto Mondesi is bordering on a first round pick, but I really want to focus on players that um, are going to get me that, um, batting average because like of all the, of all the stats I want to focus on now in this short season, I want to get players in the first round that are going to get me a good batting average because that is going to be um, a consistent stat. So players that are going to get you stolen bases and home runs, those can be more variable in my belief than batting average because yeah, of course, like you get guys like Jose Ramirez who can hit, 180 in the in a couple of months or 320 in a couple other months but those players that hit for a good average are generally going to be consistent if you have a good batting average you're you're more likely to have a consistent batting average it just makes sense right so i want to focus on those players and i really don't want to get players that are three trick ponies or one trick ponies. Well, not one, You're never going to be drafting a one trick pony that early, but you know, I don't want to get three or three and a half trick ponies in the first um, two rounds. So I'm, I'm off, I'm off of those uh, guys that for some reason they're pushing up speeds because speed in the first couple rounds, because yeah, that can, that's going to win you your league. Um, I'm not about that. I love that one. Um, I'm a, I, I'm actually somebody who always um, probably drafts higher than most uh, batting average. And I think the other, the other, uh, you know, supporting argument there is in a 60 game season, you know, when you've got players who bat 250, they're more likely to bat 220 for one stretch and then 270 and then, uh, you know, so what are you going to get in 60 games? And, you know, when you bat 300 uh, or close to it uh, each year, the str- slumps are shorter. Maybe the hot streaks aren't as long. I mean, obviously there's exceptions to that where you've got guys, um, you know, uh, Yasiel Puig comes to mind where he would always start slow and then he would bat like 350 for a month. Um, but, you know, you've got uh, – when you've got players who bat, you know, 300 – um, you're, you're, 
that that's a category where you've got less risk in that shortened season. I mean, you know, the, the bust potential this year is massive with any player that goes, that has extended slumps. So sure. I, I like that a lot. Um, cool. So my devil's advocate and, you know, maybe, you know, I, I've seen it argued a lot that, uh, take closers early because there isn't going to be a lot of turnover. So, you know, basically arguing against this idea of, um, you know, drafting the handcuffed guy with the expectation that he could win the job saying that there aren't enough games for, you know, to go by with that. And, um, you know, and I mean, I've heard it a lot. Um, it might be that, you know, maybe that, uh, there's a lot of people saying otherwise, but I haven't heard it. I think the opposite is true. Uh, in a 60 game season, you have got, uh, way, uh, you know, each game matters that much more. And, you know, just like we're hearing with a lot of these managers talking about quick hooks with the starters, uh, and not letting them get, uh, too far into trouble. Uh, I think we're going to see, and that's an in-game management decision. I think we're going to see a lot of that in from game to game, where um, if a, a closer blows two saves in a row, or just doesn't, you know, has, is missing two ticks on his fastball, or you know, there is something uh, that it, the manager of the front office that that, that is noticeable. Uh, it is magnified uh, in the press. Uh, it is magnified, you know. Uh, within within the league where you uh, cannot allow that to continue as a manager. So I actually think that there is potentially a lot of um, turnover at the closer position. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Interesting. That's something, that's something I, I think about a lot. And um, I hear you on those points and I think you make a really good point there. I'm just, uh, I'm just not sure what to think myself. Yeah. I mean, as obviously there's a lot of, there's turnover every year and usually it takes a while to happen. So uh, I think that's where people were thinking along those lines, but um, yeah, I'm uh, I think the opposite is true. I think we could see some, some players, uh, some very good relief pitchers with the skills to close possibly. I mean, you think about the way the postseason goes, uh, teams in the past, you know, five, 10 years, they will go their whole season with a closer and then they get reached the World Series, and that guy isn't closing. You know, they bring in another guy to close because the game is just – it means so much. And obviously sometimes that's a starter, and you wouldn't do that in season, but it's not always a starter. I mean, just, you know, who closed out uh, – who threw the last meaningful pitch? It wasn't uh, Doolittle. Uh, it was Hudson, right? Um, you know, and, right, and that happens right. every year. We don't want to talk about that. Okay, I will. I will defer to later in this episode. So that was a little sneak preview, I think. No, it's a sneak preview for nothing. We just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to tell anyone about that. All right, good. We don't, we don't want. To, we don't want to allude to anything about Doolittle. Like we don't even care about that. We don't. Want to be, he's probably not even going to play. Oh, is that right? Is he? Uh, I don't know. No, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't have any insider information, but like. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, he's definitely quite an outspoken player. And, uh, you know, I think he's passionate on certain issues. So I I wouldn't – that wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, That's a good point you make there. But um, I wouldn't be drafting him anyway. I I don't draft injured, perpetually injured relief pitchers. It's just not my (laughs) – 
<laughs> style well, of draft. Well, yeah, that's reflected in where, where his uh, ADP is anyways. He's, yeah. He's probably one of the more talented uh, relief pitchers with um, the inside shot of the job. He's going one of the, he's one of the latest closers going. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So uh, that was the devil's advocate segment. Um, I think it's a, a fun topic. Uh, we've got, we got another one here, another uh, segment that I think is, um, is somewhat of a fun one. Uh, and that is, and this is, this is, you're just piggybacking your idea. I think when, when I forget who I was on with, I think it was fish. Um, you did a, uh, a headline uh, segment and this is kind of taking that and running with it. So um, what we're going to do here is come up with a, uh, an end of season newspaper headline, so to speak uh, prediction uh, f- for the end of the season. It can be on any topic, on any outcome. Um, so uh, what is your end of season sports section headline to talk about the 2020 baseball season? All about it. Latest football scores. Morning paper. Morning star. Paper mister. My headline for the 2020 fantasy baseball season is James Karinchuk personifies, I don't know if that's the right word, um, fantasy baseball in, in 2020. Mm. Successful fantasy baseball in 2020. And what I mean by that is um, maybe maybe personify is not the right word. It's not. It's I know it's not. But um, it, it was a good headline. But um, what, I like I mean, what I mean is, well, wait, wait, for, wait for my explanation. But what I mean is, uh, Karinchuk um, is the – he – he he drafting him emphasizes the importance of a handcuff no ah pun brad hand so i think ah. i think I, th- I think it's more important this year marketing man <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think it's it's more important this year than ever especially in these and we're looking at these draft champions leagues and i know it's more difficult in leagues with, with shallower rosters like your rotowires but um to handcuff your players um, you want to have a solid base you want to have a solid starting 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 roster but when you get in those later rounds because of the coronavirus people are going to be going in the dl and you need to just backfill so like one of the things i did in this in this um in this draft i think i hope i did i'm looking at my team right now um yeah, so I got I got Chris Bryant. Um, I drafted David Bodie later on. Um, when I'm getting, um, I didn't do it. I didn't have Korea here, but if I have Korea, I want um, Abraham Toro. Um, like I want all, I want um, I want a backfield. Like if I have um, if I have a red starter, I want Mar- I want Tyler Molly. I want to. I just want to just get those free. Um, those freebies later on that are going to fill in for just to get those you know, counting stats. If a player is going to be on the DL for an entire week, I want to make sure I have his backup. I'd like, for example, I'd much rather, um, I'm just throwing, I'm just trying to give an example here. Um, like, uh, well, let's take my Chris Bryant. I'd much rather like if Chris Bryant's going to be out of the lineup for a week because he has COVID-19, I'm much rather have David Bodie in my roster than a guy like, um, let's look at a guy that went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rounds higher. Um, I'd much rather have him than Kevin Pillar. I went like eight rounds before him just because I'd rather have that. It's, it's going to be more beneficial to me. 
It's interesting that, you know, because you're addressing a problem that um, I, I actually drafted to address the same problem. And that is, you know, kind of that backup risk uh, mitigation. Um, it's And this is what I mean about how there's just this is so many, you know, people are having to really think ahead on this, um, given the uncertainty. I did it with uh, uh, position eligibility flexibility. It's kind of solving yeah. the same problem. Uh, you know, I drafted Bregman. You get short and, and third. Then I went McNeil, which is third, second, and outfield. Moustakis, second and oh, third. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Hampson, second and outfield. Um, Brandon Lau uh, uh, might have um, eligibility all over. You know, I got um, uh, Sogard, uh, Kiner Falefa. Uh, Matt Beatty, Josh Rojas. I mean, that was like the cornerstone. That was I prioritized that going out. So it's interesting, you know. Sogard, going to have. You also got him. He's another guy you sniped me on. Uh, then I was uh, then I then I targeted. That's going way too late. He's going to have. He's going, if he doesn't already, he's going to have more positions. Well, and that was my my lefty thing. So if you take out Milwaukee's two lefties with uh, Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer, the uh, NL Central, uh, obviously he's on those teams, so he won't face them. St. Louis has no lefties. Um, there, there's actually only four lefties left in that division. So, you know, he's going to get a lot of run as a lefty bat. And when he is in the lineup, um, people are projecting he's going to lead off uh, on what is a sneaky good offense. So, uh, you know, I, I I think Sogard is the type of, type of guy who could also be like a league winner. Um you know, just if he gets a, a good run at bats, we'll see about that. But yeah, um, I think that's a great one. Um, I like your um, your headline. Um, can't wait for I can't wait for yours here. So, well, you kind of threw me off because uh, Karen check was the subject of, of something that I was going to do later. So oh, obviously no. we, 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 I think we, we spent too much time talking baseball together because we're starting to morph. <laughs> well, I didn't get into any, he was more just like a, it was, I didn't have anything specific to say about him. Yeah. Well, I, and I can, I can touch on a little more cause it's more about, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, we'll get into that later, but, uh, my end of season headline prediction is more about the, you know, a 40,000 foot view of, of baseball. And it is that, uh, clever front offices rule the day. Uh, I think this is going to be the year because of, just the, you know, the craziness of, um, you know, how baseball will be managed this year, that this is the year that the front offices that are the most clever and the most innovative and creative uh, are going to end up going far in the playoffs. And I think we're going to see some pretty interesting things and what might end up, I think to piggyback on this headline the most interesting part of this is things could happen this season that become the future of baseball, you know, things like the opener. I mean, obviously we know what that is now, but um, there are teams that, that just completely think outside the box and it changes the landscape of baseball for the foreseeable future. And I'm hoping we see some of that because that to me will offset, maybe not negate, but offset 
some of all the distasteful things that we are seeing in baseball with the fighting between owners and, and, and players union and, and things like that. I'm hoping that this, because to me, this is what makes baseball exciting. Uh, I don't really follow football anymore. I'm a kind of recovered Jets fan. I just, you know, to me, football is kind of a boring sport because it doesn't have these wild swinging changes to the game that baseball does. Um, and I think that this could be the thing that um, that hopefully will um, will help baseball remain exciting uh going into next year so i like it i like it yeah so uh one last segment here um and that is uh, you know we've we've done a few innovative things and now we're going to get into some things that you know you hear a lot of on other shows um it's funny because one of these i don't hear a lot of but uh fantasy pros just ran an article on this exact topic and that is predicting players who are league winners so players who will be you know at the end of the year when you're looking at all the winning rosters there's always a player that is on the most uh winning teams uh and what we've asked for here is a is a pitcher and a hitter um, that is a league winner. The, the, the fantasy pros, uh, article, and I won't spoil it. Um, you know, I reckon, certainly reckon I love their stuff. They actually went with a lot of players that I thought were a little too high in drafts to be considered league winners. Cause if you're drafting them where they were going, you know, you're still investing quite a bit in them. But, um, so I, I kind of thought of this as something, maybe players being drafted a little later, like after round 10, but you know what, uh, it, you know, it might not be that. So, um, it's however you want to interpret it. So who is your league winners? Hitter or pitcher? Hitter and pitcher. All right. Well, I got, I got, I got, I got a hitter and a pitcher, but I want to just touch on a guy that um, you brought him up before. So, um, I didn't expect you to really bring him up or really um, focus on him at all before when we were talking about our late round picks was um, Jose Garcia. And um, I drafted him. Um, he's sort of my uh, bone of all these. He's my bonus league winner because he's so late because you're not going to draft him in any non-draft champions leagues, like in a main event or a road to wire. You're not going to touch him. Um, he's still going to be left on the waiver wire in all of those leagues, but um, he's my pick to be this year's um, Juan Soto of 2018. Um, I think he's just one of those guys that can ascend uh, the minor leagues uh, very quickly. And I think the Reds are going to be a good team, which I'll touch on a bit later. Um, and uh, really they got nothing uh, behind uh, what's his face um, for a death. Uh, Freddie Galvis. Freddie, Freddie Galvis. Like, first of all, Freddie Galvis, I believe, um, has been overrated the last couple of years. I think because of the juice ball and just the, the teams he's been playing on. I think he was on the Jays and the Reds. Like, I don't think he's even as good as what he's done. I think like the Reds have basically hot garbage there. And uh, Garcia is a good defender, and he's an amazing talent, and he's a top prospect, and everything else. Just um, if if they're if they're actually going to go for it, I think um, if the Reds are going to go for winning this year, I think Jose Garcia is their best option at shortstop, including Freddie Galvis. So I think getting him, um, I didn't think anyone else was targeting. I was waiting for, I almost waited for him until um, around fifty um, completely, but I ended up taking him around forty-eight, and I took him again, and I took him in around fifty of our the other draft I was in. I think he could be. Um, 
I think he could be um, like your Juan Soto of 2018. I want to get your before I tell you my my true pitcher and hitter. I want to get your thoughts on him because we sort of gl- we sort of glossed over him when we were talking earlier. On who? On Jose Garcia. Oh yeah, I so. Um, and just know, a side note, I, I, I heard um, somebody mentioned um, um, today in, in another chat um, that uh, he's been spotted at Great American Ballpark. Yeah, he's so I'm on roster resource right now, and uh, he's on their taxi squad right now, uh, or listed in that player pool that that is. Uh, and, and this is you know I'm I had drafted him in the. Um, um, the prospects live uh, dynasty best ball. I, I took him in my last, as my last pick in uh, my home league, which is a keeper league. I mean, I have so yeah, much so exposure to him. Yeah. Um, he is, he's 22 years old. Uh, you know, the, the, I, I like the, the um, Juan Soto comp because uh, you know, I think and in credit to, I think it was Will Sharnagle that uh, is, is the, the guy who kind of has been the, you know, the Jose Garcia, um, you know, I don't know what the term would be, but he's the one who's kind of brought him into everybody's uh, sphere of consciousness. Um, is that right? I th- I'm pretty sure it was him. I'm not um, sure. Anyway, he, um, so he played in the, in the Florida coast league uh, or the Florida uh, and, and, you know, in a, in a uh, league that is a, a pitcher's park league and and I think that's kind of why the comps to to Juan Soto are so important because, um, you know, his stats were somewhat um, muted by where he was playing, and you know some of the underlying metrics are you know just this guy is just and, and given that he's 22 years old and that he's been in camp and people are excited about him and are seeing you know some some very um, you know, good batting, uh, you know, batting practice rounds. And it's just, it's, it, you know, I, I think it's a great pick because you're not, you're also not paying much for it. He's going at the end of drafts. He's not really on anybody's radar for this year, but you're right. Like who's blocking him. I mean, Freddie Galvis. Yeah. Freddie Galvis is decent, but if you're the reds and your fan base has been patiently waiting for you to be relevant for, you know, over a decade, um, and now you've spent some money, you've made some trades, you've pushed your chips in. Why not bring this kid up who is – he's not an 18-year-old kid. He's old enough. He could probably handle the job. Um, so I think that's a great, great pick. Um, I'm a big fan, so, which is why I was pissed off that you sniped me on him. He hasn't been drafted uh, like up until this month, really. And I guess, I guess for that, for those reasons, like that we're talking about this short season, but he, in all my, in basically all of my other drafts, he was undrafted through 50 rounds and I have him in now probably four draft champions leagues, um, near like last rounds. Um, and I, I kind of wish I had him in more, but I just like, there's other players that like, he's just sort of like, I have him at the end of the draft. I have him like you. And then there's just other players still available that I like, I think have a better chance of uh, that. I thought had a better chance of just seeing the field, even though this guy had more upside, but uh, he's a player I wanted on my teams, but uh, all my draft champions teams that I just wasn't able to justify him enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you took him in the 48th round. Um, I took Wander Franco in the 32nd round um, thinking that, you know, 
and I, obviously Tampa has a, has a history of, uh, of not um, calling up guys and making them wait. But those are in years where, you know, they've either got more development or maybe the, the, the Rays aren't in it. Um, you know, I feel like if there's, a, you know, if, if um, Yandy Diaz gets hurt or Tatsugo or whoever's manning third uh, isn't doing it and the, the Rays are in it, I could see them bringing up Wander Franco. But, you know, I paid for it in the 32nd round. Um, you know, getting Jose Garcia, who to me – might have a better chance of, of getting the call up uh, than Franco is. I, I thought that was a great pick and I'm pissed off at you for doing it. So perfect. Uh, well, well done. <laughs> so, my, my, my two league winners. Um, and he, I, I said, I don't like to look at the schedule too much, but if I did have to look at the schedule, both of these league winners um, are, are now take now get a boost because of the schedule. So the NL central, um, those well the central pitchers there's and when i look at the schedule i don't want to read too much into it so i'm not going to look at like borderline um park factors like i'm not going to like i'm not going to like i'm not going to try and read into something that's really just like fool's gold um just to read into something just because i want to i want to think i'm analyzing something um I want to look at really like when I'm looking at pitchers, I want to look at really bad teams. And honestly, like if I look at the West, like both Wests, there really aren't that many really, really bad teams, like really, really bad hitting teams. And if I look at the East, um, there's Baltimore and there's Marlins, but there's one, there's one in the AL and there's one in the NL. So, okay. Yeah. You get, you get, you can cherry pick those bad teams. But I think if you look at the central, like especially the American league central, the, um, the Royals and the Tigers are really, really bad. And then I think on the other end, the, the Pirates are also really, really bad. So I think you have those three teams are really bad in terms of like, if I'm going to focus on pitching and um, the NL, I believe if I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, but the, the Reds, they have um, obviously they have the Pirates 10 times and um, I think they have the most favorable schedule they could possibly have against the um, the um, the NL, the sorry the AL because how it works is you play ten team you play ten teams against all of your division rivals in your own league, but then you also play the other league um, same I guess geographic location. So the Central plays the Central, the East plays the East, the West plays the West. But how it works is um, um, you get one series of three games versus two of the teams. So you play, so yeah, so you play two teams, three times, two other teams, you play four times. So one of the teams will play a four game series and the other team, you'll play a two game and a two game home and home. I don't know if it's back to back, but one team you get six times. So it's sort of like you, you, you um, you're, you're trying to get the, you're trying to win the lottery. So what happened with the Reds is they got, I believe, well, they, they have the Tigers and the Royals six and four times and they have, um, and they have, um, Pirates. Obviously, obviously the Pirates 10 times yeah. and to boot. And this is a little bit of a stretch. They have, obviously they have 30 away games, seven of their, um, away games. So are in Milwaukee in, um, Miller park. 
So um, when you play in the division, obviously there's an uneven amount of home and away games in versus each team. And um, it just so happens the Reds get a three game series. You play each of the t- divisions in each of the teams in your division, a three, a three and a four. They have a three and a four in Milwaukee. And I know Cincinnati's also a good park, but it just, uh, it just eats into their away games that they could have been somewhere else. So they have a, they have a super, super, um, favorable schedule. And I know my last point really favors hitters, not pitchers, but to make a long story short, I'm going to go with Trevor Bauer because there's also, um, there's also um, rumors that he can go for, for um, every four days. And I know, I know for what it, what it seems, people are just sort of just brushing it off right now. But when that, if that actually gets confirmed, Oh my God, like um, even um, like I'm even in on Lance Lynn because um, uh he's going to be the opening day starter. And even that, just that one extra start, um, if he, if he get 12, if he gets 12 starts and everyone else is getting 11 is way more valuable than if he's getting 35 starts versus 34 starts. So the, an opening day starter becomes way more valuable. Except I think, I think they're starting in Colorado. I want to say either they're oh, home, they? they might be home against Colorado. I can't remember. They're doing a two game set and then another two game set to start. Uh, against Colorado, I forget where. Right, well, fuck it. Don't, don't draft Lance Lane because I want him. <laughs> well, I already have him everywhere, but uh, I like the Bauer thing, and um, I think part of it is, you know, he was obviously traded there mid-season last year. He has had, you know, obviously he's this intellectual, and you know, I, I like, I dig that about him that he, uh, you know, obviously, it, it, you know, there's a bit of a knock on that if if you look at it in terms of, you know, he's always tinkering, but. When you put him in a room with Derek Johnson, Reds pitching coach, and, and you give them an offseason and then extended uh, spring training in December, I mean, you've given them a lot of time to work together. And, I, you know, I would hope that Derek Johnson is, you know, the, the, but Trevor Bauer has enough respect for him as a pitching coach for them to have kind of, fine-tuned this this pitcher um and and i like it too i think it's a great call um you know and and you're not paying up for him at this point no i think he i think he could be maybe like a i don't don't know if there's much or not i don't i think you can make the argument him and giolito could be very similar in terms of what you can expect from yep no i think that's a good he went in the seventh round uh to ray butler in, in our league and you know, Berrios was taken before him, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Jesus Lazardo. Uh, I'd probably take Bauer over those three pitchers. Yeah, um, so would I. Absolutely. Um, Sonny Gray went ahead of him almost a full round. I do like Sonny Gray um, for the same reason. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think you're spot on with that. Uh, you know, the one thing – the one knock on Bauer I've heard is that as smart as he is and as, you know – I've heard that he's not the most athletic baseball player. Um, that his, you know, he's not one of these guys who's, you know, he's got a great arm and he's smart and he knows how to, to maximize his potential, but that he's not as athletic as a lot of other pitchers. And I just, what worries me with him is as he ages, if that's not going to play more of a role. Um, he's got one of the most punchable faces in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I got his, I mean, I'm one of the people I, I kind of like, I like personalities like Bauer in the game. I like Bauer. I actually, I don't mind him. I like him. 
and he's yeah. got a punchable face. Not not more punchable than AJ Perzinski. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> that's great. Cool. So that's your pitcher. Yeah. You got a hitter. Okay. You're not going to give you. You're going to go after I am for both. Uh, I can. I can do my pitcher. It's up to you. Uh, you're the, you're my, the whole... my, mine's going to be pretty quick anyway. Um, and I thought about using this guy for the rookie um, impact, but. You know, uh, every three or so years, some rookie comes up uh, pitcher and just is a league winner because they, they, you know, pitchers have that advantage where the league hasn't seen them. Uh, the book is is not really developed on them. Um, you know, and some of them come out of nowhere and some of them are just great pitchers with deep arsenals. Um you know, and, and it just takes an opportunity and for things to click. Uh, my pitcher's Forrest Whitley. Uh, he's going super late right now. Uh, you know, I mean, even in dynasty leagues, he's kind of dropped behind uh, Mackenzie Gore in a lot of places. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you, know, um, you know, I got him in the 26th round in this. Um, and he is now uh, – he's reported to camp um, – the front office, uh, I, I want to say, I don't know if it was Dusty Baker, but reports are that he has been uh, used this time off to get his mechanics back down. And, you know, obviously he's had some issues that were beyond pitching. You know, they were more um, judgment type decisions um, that cost him some time. Uh, last year there was, a, uh, there was an injury involved with, with his loss of mechanics. Um, but the fact is, is that this guy has, um, you know, multiple potential plus plus pitches um, and he plays for a great team, um, you know, that knows how to use data to um, to help pitchers maximize their potential. He's got, you know, if he does get called, get the call, he's got Verlander and Granke there. Um, you know, I mean, who better to talk, you know, as far as veterans to help him, um, you know, acclimate to pitching in, in the majors. Um, I just, you know, if he is given that shot and, and that's the other part of this is you've got Lance McCullers who is coming off injury himself. Uh, you've got a lot of question marks at the back end of that, uh, rotation, you know, where Urquidy is, uh, I believe he's one of the people who is, um, possibly uh, tested positive for COVID. I don't know if that's going to set him back a little bit. Um, you've got uh, Josh James, who, you know, was everybody's darling going into last year, but, you know, he dealt with an injury himself. He's always had command issues. I do like Josh James, but there are a lot of paths to Forrest Whitley getting the call this year. And, and maybe the biggest thing is this team's window might be closing. Um, you know, while they've got a lot of guys uh, signed long term, um, you already said the windows closed. You said they're not making the playoffs. That was your prediction. It was, and I still think <laughs> that that's true. But I think uh, I, I agree even more so now. Yeah, I mean, part of that was the fact that I thought they were going to be getting plunked left and right, and you were going to have guys, you know, getting you know pinky fingers broken or things like that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. Um, my guess is it will. Um, I think they play seven games in Oakland. Um, 
you know, and I know Oakland is, is like ground zero for that because of Mike fires and, you know, the Oakland fan base is certainly uh, a passionate crew themselves. But um, I just, I think that that division is caught up to them. I think there's, there's uh, the angels could be sneaky good. I think Oakland is uh, as underrated as they always are. Um, you know, and Texas is got probably got one of the more solid rotations uh, that people don't talk about. Um, but that said, I still think that if, if Forrest Willie get Whitley gets a shot, given where he's drafted, he could certainly be he could win some leagues for some people. So, okay. so who is your hitter? Hitter. All right. Um, so. Um, Last year, we're talking draft champions. And last year, um, a player that was one of my saviors in these NFBC teams, um, not that I did, not that I performed extremely well, but he was saving a lot of my teams just because you, you need players that can play, is Lourdes Goriel. And he's not, not going to be my pick. But he, just because he had the position eligibility of second base and outfield, I was able to slot him in in either of those, either of those positions. He was very helpful. Um, furthermore, um, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people are, are highlighting Garrett Hampson and Sam Hilliard as sleepers, but the guy that I'm going to call out as a league winner is um, now I'm blanking on his name. Um, why am I blanking on his name? It's because I've had 18 drinks tonight. Um, <laughs> what the hell is his name? His name is Ryan McMahon. Ah. He has second base, third base eligibility, and yep. going to have first base eligibility as well because I believe um, they're going to put um, Daniel Murphy at DH, and I think he'll get enough uh, reps at first base to get that within the first two weeks. And you'll um, be able to slot him in basically anywhere in the infield except for shortstop, which is a very deep position, which he should have covered anyways. So, And I think he's going to take a step forward this year because um, a year and two years back, he was killing the minor leagues gets to play at Coors um, and um, he was um, he was great last year um, near the end of the year and I think he's going to be maybe I think he could perform like a like a fourth round pick that you're getting in the 15th round yeah I like that pick I also think you know I mean who knows if Daniel Murphy uh, I, I think they are going to want to use that uh, that DH slot a little more um judiciously where they're swapping and they're probably going to give uh, Charlie Blackman some days as DH and, and yeah. to your point, they're going to keep him in the lineup because he can slot over to second. Um, you know, he can give Arenado a day, uh, a spell and, and play third. Um, and, you know, I think it, all he's needed is, is, is a chance over there. And I think that's a, that's a great pick. And uh, you, we went in the 13th round here. So I said 15th, but yeah, you probably can't get him in the 15th maybe 13, 14. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it really, it's, it's a value question, you know, and, and, you know, given where he plays, um, you know, which ironically you, you, you spoiled mine a little bit. I piggybacked off your earlier point that like position eligibility is very, very key. Yeah. Well, my guy, uh, and I had two, uh, I'll just say the name of one of them. Cause you just said it is Garrett Hampson. Um, and I think that, I mean, I drafted him in earlier drafts where I got him super late and, you know, in those leagues, he could absolutely be a league winner, but, um, you know, to me, Garrett Hampson is the potentially 
you know, every few years, there's somebody in Colorado who takes a massive step forward and becomes Charlie Blackman and becomes Cargo and becomes Nolan Arenado. And I, I feel like, I mean, uh, the as a prospect, Garrett Hampson ha- was always described as having a solid hit tool. Um, this guy potentially slots in as a prototypical leadoff hitter. And if the cards fall right and, um, and he does, you know, start off the season the right way, um, given he plays in Colorado and, you know, who knows if Colorado is even going to be competitive, but he is the exception to this, you know, potential of stolen bases being down. I mean, we see it with, with Trevor story who every year, steals you know 20 plus bases and you know he's they have him slotting in you know not even leading off you know he'll be stealing bases out of the three or four hole uh so imagine you get somebody who's a real uh on base machine good good hitter uh and just has you know explosive speed batting lead off uh they don't really have a prototypical lead off hitter right now um, so, and there's a lot of candidates for that on that team. I think David Dahl, people have said, but I mean, there's another guy. Do you really want him um, leading off and trying to? I, I don't know if he if, if he's even a consideration for for stealing bases or, or advancing, you know, on the base paths independently. But you know, that sounds like a scary proposition for somebody who is perpetually injured. Um, and he's frankly, uh, you know, for me, he's a pretty big bust this year. But uh, I like Garrett Hampson. The other guy is Avisail Garcia. We've been talking about him all year long. Love and, him too. You know, with Braun now uh, basically out, sitting out the season. I mean, you know, not that he was, you know, he was going to be DHing anyway. But now, I mean, there's even more opportunity for him to Ooh, sitting out the season. Yeah, Ryan Braun is. Uh, I'm pretty sure I read that. Um, is um, not playing this year. What? What? Yeah. Really? I know. And he was like one of the was big it, darlings. Was this like in the last like two minutes that this happened? No, this was um, a few weeks ago. Let's see. Uh, a few sure. weeks ago? Uh, while this report is on. It's not soon. No. Open the season sharing time. Wow. I was sure that somebody reported that he was sitting out the season. Huh. No. Yeah, no, you're right. Spring, wow, huh? I must have dreamt that. Wow. Well, either way, so Braun obviously is going to slot in, and, and this was always the plan. I just, it was an added thing if that was happening, but um, Braun will DH more often than not. Um, he can spell smoke at uh, first base. Uh, and he can get some reps in the outfield, but the big value thing for Avisail Garcia, you know, is because he was going to be in a timeshare of sorts with Braun. The DH obviously opens that up a lot, but you know, the other thing is the Brewers are another one of these up and coming progressive um, teams that have the technology and the people to use it um, to get the most out of their players. Uh, obviously, the Christian Yelich story is is you know a perfect example of that. But they have guys that it doesn't work with. What I'm gambling on is that Avisail Garcia is one of those guys. I mean, the Rays obviously saw something too. They had him last year for one year, and uh, you know they're a smart organization. So 
you know, when, when smart organizations keep taking chances on players, those are guys I like to bet on. So that's pretty much the narrative <laughs> spin on that. But uh, nice. I like him this year. So let's do, uh, let's do one more since we're, we're running um, probably pretty long here. And that is I, I've never heard anybody do this. So league losers. So what players, and usually, you know, when you've got a player that's losing a league for you, it's obviously injuries play the biggest role in that. But it's, it's a consideration um, for fantasy base. I mean, where are you taking guys and how early are you willing to take injury-prone players? So who is your league losing players, pitcher and hitter? All right. Um, well, I was inclined to take – to for my hitter to say Giancarlo Stanton, but I won't because it's just such an obvious one. Um, if you ever listen to this podcast and you've heard me talk about him enough, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use him. My league loser is going to be Whit Merrifield, uh, just because of how high he's going and um, just the fact that he's how old is he? I don't know. He's he's not gonna steal any more bases than he did before. Um, and I think the importance of 31 years old. Yeah. That's not good for stolen bases. And, um, he, the stolen bases are declining. Uh, he had to get a couple of good years and, um, especially this year, I really want to focus on getting players on good teams, um, in my first couple of rounds. So I believe he's going in the fourth round or maybe the, probably the fourth, maybe the third, but, um, Fourth, he's a fourth round pick. And I think it's just way too high to take a player that's um, you're really drafting for, for stolen bases and maybe a little bit of batting average in the fourth round. Um, and um, a point I made before is players on, on, on bad teams, if they're getting the Nick Deck injuries, which speed players tend to get more often than, than other players, like you, um, great, great, great players like Billy Hamilton tend to get nicked up quite a bit more than other players, but, um, he fits that, he fits that build. And, uh, I made the point that if you're playing in a 60 game season, you're 50 games in and the Royals are, are 15 and, um, 35, the record. And what Maryfield has like a sore ankle or he's tight hammy. Why would you play him? And I think he has the potential. Like, I think he's got a decent contract. I know they signed him to like a two, three, two, three year contract. He could, they're not, they're not winning. They could trade him to a, he could get traded to a team and um, be like a role player. It's not, not a lot of, he could, he could, he could, I could see him getting traded and not having nearly like that everyday role. Yeah, and I mean, the, the story of his stolen bases last year was discouraging. I mean, he was running earlier in the year, and he's on record saying that, uh, that he made a decision to stop stealing bases because they were out of it, and, you know, he didn't want to, you know, I don't know if it was to ensure he didn't get hurt or for whatever reason, but this is not – that's not what somebody says who is – you know, planning on coming out of the gates the following year, gangbusters and stealing 30 bags. Um, he's, he's the one player that's going in the top five rounds. I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't draft in the top eight rounds. Yeah. He's the only player I can say that. About. Yeah. I actually traded for him mid season last year in a points league um, with, you know, I was just teetering on being out of it. And I was hoping that, 
he would get traded to the Cubs and be their leadoff hitter and that it would mm. win the league for me. So, um, and then I didn't keep him <laughs> going into this year because of all those things that you just mentioned. So yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, he's going way too high. I own him nowhere. Um, so I'm, Thanks, I'm right with you. Zero. Yeah. Um, my guy is somebody who I have been hearing lately. I mean, I was already out on him. And now I'm hearing people are pushing him up into the top five. And that is Trey. Nice. I love it. He, I mean, I have been burned by Trey Turner so many years in a row. I mean, he has been valuable, but what has burned me is, you know, he starts off every season and, you know, half of those seasons he gets hurt. Um, He is aggressive. He's not this super durable player and you know some of them he was, he was bunting and, and he got plunked and it broke his finger and but it's happened time and time again and you know i mentioned that devil's advocate article that i uh, wrote about the the red sox going into last year um i you know i usually will fade world series winning team players um, mostly because they've given it everything they had. They went deep in the playoffs, obviously. Um, and that fire and urgency to win has been somewhat quelled a little bit. And I feel like, especially with a 60-game season, uh, if he does get hurt and you're drafting him in the top five, uh, you've probably drafted him to be to carry your steals category. Um, you know, there is the potential that if he does get hurt and it is something, and this is kind of part of that theory of having just won the world series, you know, he is a player he's, uh, he's signed with the, um, or he's under contract with the Nats till, uh, 2023. So they need him for a few more years. If he gets some kind of knock, are are they really going to push him to play? hurt in a 60 game season uh i don't know that they would do that they've also got some other options where they could slide key boom over uh you know you've got some people who could fill in at third if that happens you probably see robley's um start batting lead off or at least second so i mean they've got some things they could do they could rest him and hope they make the playoffs but that just absolutely kills your team uh, he's just a guy that just has way too much risk for me to be taking in the top five or even, I mean, obviously, you know, if he's dropping down at the end of the first round, he's such a contributor, but man, I just, there's a lot of guys I would rather take over Trey Turner. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, but you know, you know me, I've been fading him as well. I don't, I think I might have one share of him. Yeah. It just, and this is, this is more about just getting burned. It's like, it's like being a Jets fan, man. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So let's, let's wrap it up with our pitchers. Um, so who is your, your league losing pitcher? All right. I was talking a little bit about this um, on Twitter recently. Um, Charlie Morton. Ah, which by the way, Charlie Morton went higher than I've ever seen him go. Uh, he went in the middle of the second round in our Battle of the Podcast Leagues. 
Yeah, and I know, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And actually, um, he went to the same team as Whit Merrifield. So that's uh, Chris at Baseball Pods. I don't mean to pick on your team, but um, I don't like your team. <laughs> um, no, I, I, like, I like you, Chris, but um, not don't like your team you drafted here. Um, despite, yeah, no, just the, the first couple. Uh, and Trey Turner. He has, well, he has Trey Turner Morton, uh, Cranky. I hate Cranky, too. And uh, Whit Merrifield. But I do, I do love uh, Ramon Liriano, who he picked next. And, yeah. Uh, he could yeah. prove us wrong. We'll see. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of guys I don't like on there. His closers, Iglesias, um, this is his first closer. I don't like Ben Attendi. Oh. Um, Muncie, I don't mind. Christian Walker might see a lot less at bats. Um, oh, I don't know. Kevin Crone's the man. Yeah. I oh, and he has massive, massive hero. He got massive hero Tanaka, too. He's yep. gone awful. Yeah, there's a lot of risk on this team. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so yeah, Martin. Um, he was already talking about retiring. Um, man, we really just did a number to Chris. Fuck. Yeah, and you know what? He'll probably yeah. win. I mean, this is uh, this is. Uh, I love I love Chris. I love Chris. He's really. I love, I love Chris. Just um, well, so you know. So here's a perfect example on Turner. He took Turner, and Story and Lindor were both still on the board. Like I would never do that. I would take Lindor over. Neither would I, but you know what? A lot of a lot of people would do yeah. what he did. A yeah. lot of people, a lot of people have Turner as the number three player, and um, I, don't, I think it's pretty much a a, a split. Uh, I think it's split across people that I that have talked to with uh, Turner versus the story of Lindor. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on story of Lindor. But yeah, to to Morton, he said he was going to retire um, potentially after this year, and um, he's what thirty six. It's like my, he's like the same age as me, and you're you're not the same anymore. Um, you're not he's not you're not you're not throwing as hard, um, despite the fact that he is throwing harder <laughs> than he was before. So um, I'll eat my words uh, that I just spoke. But um, if if you're if you're already saying um, that you're going to maybe not play anymore after this year, and there's it's a two month season. You're basically two months away from potential retirement. And I feel that he would know his body. So there must be a reason why he's retiring. And he said this before any of the weird stuff started to happen. So there must be something he's feeling that maybe is telling him that it's time to quit. So for taking him in the second round pick, like mid second round, no way. He's, he's a player I'd take maybe in the fourth round, like I was saying. Um, once all the other pitchers, like your Castillos, who went way after Giolito, Paddock, all those guys are gone. And he's my – and I don't have a pitcher at all. Maybe I'll take him in the fourth round, but no way. Not, not in the second round, not in the third round. Yeah, I don't like him in the second round, but I, I am not fading him as much as you are this year. Um, I think – you know, he's always, there's always been a lot of talk with him about, you know, his desire to retire is more about spending time with his family. And I mean, he seems like he's got kind of, it's funny that he drafted Granky too, because I feel like this is more of like a, a head thing or, a, you know, I don't know if he's got anxiety or something or, um, but he's not one of these bulldog mentality, you know, I'm, you know, Bob Gibson types who go up there and, you know, they're just going to, you know, dare you to hit their ball, um, hit their pitch. I, I, but that said, um, 
you know, the one thing that does give me caution is he's another guy in that same league that I traded for Merrifield, which is funny. I also traded for Charlie Morton midseason. And this was, again, a, a last desperate attempt to remain relevant in this. And I didn't sell, which people gave me crap for. But um, Charlie Morton, you know, right when I traded for him, there were some warning signs with him. I mean, he was so good in the first half last year. And then there was like a stretch, um, which, you know, Verlander went through that a little bit too, right after the all-star break. And both of them finished somewhat strong, but there was, there was definitely some, some warning signs there. I, I think there was some wear, uh, it was wearing down a little bit, but um, in a two month season though, two and a half months, I feel like Morton could still be a value if he were drafted in the fourth round, which is where, he was typically going the end of the third and beginning of the fourth round. Uh, I do agree with you that second round is, is a little too rich for my blood, considering I picked right after Chris and I, and Bregman was still on the board. Wow. Um, yeah, that puts it in perspective. Maybe it's, maybe it is recency bias where I've seen him go quite, quite a bit earlier than he typically has gone throughout the, the draft season since November. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good one. I'm not fading him as much, but I do I do get what you're saying. And um, there's also the fact that I feel like Tampa Bay players are risky in at all positions because you just don't know what they're. There's such a <laughs> a variable that team, you know, and they've got so much depth. Uh, you know, if he's if he needs some extra rest, are they going to let him go deep into games? Are they going to skip him here and there if they're you know, I mean, the Yankees in Tampa could run away with that division. So um, if they're looking like a lock for the playoffs, he may not even, you know, get as many starts as or innings uh, as, as some other pitchers might. Well, that said, I could really use a guy like Morton on my team because my pitching is very much like the upside guys with the less innings. Like I got Glasnow, Lynette, and Julio Arias. So I could really use a guy like Morton, get him. Try yeah, you know, I remember who was it on the last show? Was it? Um, it was uh, MLB moving averages. Who was saying that about your team? Right? He was kind of knocking that about your team with Glasnow, Lamed, and I actually maybe it was me. He was knocking to myself, knocking myself. I don't know. I, I think the opposite is true. I think that if there's a season to to go with these guys, I mean, Lamet is another one who could be a league winner with his uh, strikeout potential. Um, you know, I mean, he was uh, he was being overdrafted, in my opinion, when it was a full season. Uh, same with Luzardo. Same with all those guys that were coming back from injury or, or from uh, reduced workload for whatever reason. Um, but now, with a two-and-a-half-month season, Lamette, Urias, and Glasnow could be, you know, top – all three could be top ten pitchers. So, uh, I think if you're going to – uh, wait on pitching and build that unbelievable base like you did in this league with Betts, Albies, Meadows. Um, and then you took glass down and then went Brian Donaldson. I mean, you could, uh, uh, th- that could be just an absolutely great recipe for success in this. So you shall see. Yeah. I like that you did there, but good, good pick though. Um, my guy and is kind of ties in with, um, with uh, Turner. Is uh, is Max Scherzer? Um, hmm. There's been a lot of you know a lot last year with the first of all back injuries to me are you know I I just I, I steer clear of them. There's two things that I will ne- I will never own Nick Senzel. 
anything to do with the brain when it comes to vertigo or uh, constant concussions, to me, there's just the brain is too complex. <laughs> it's too hard to predict those things. I just steer clear of them at all costs. Um, the same is true for me with back injuries with pitchers. I will probably never own Clayton Kershaw again. Um, Scherzer started to have those those issues as well. Um, he is again coming off, finally getting his ring. Um, you know, in this case, he is an absolute bulldog, and you know, is the type of guy that you know will try to pitch through just about anything and carry his team on his back. And I think in some cases that could work against him. Um, I, I just because of the you know, climaxing with, with winning that world series and now coming out of that season into a 60 game season. Um, I worry about people taking him. I mean, when Oker took him here, uh, at, um, 12th pick in the first round, um, I would rather have probably Bueller, Verlander, Bieber and Clevenger over Scherzer this year. Um, so, you know, there's just – to me, there's just a little too much risk with him. And, and I know I recognize the fact that I threw Clevenger in there and he is um, perpetually injured as well. But, um, you know, I just it, – it's this World Series hangover thing that I think um, is, is something – I think it's a real thing. And, um, you know, with somebody who is one of these guys who just plays the game with such fire and is driven to win, he got that ring. I just, you know, coming out of that, we'll see. Um, he's another guy. He signed through uh, 2022. So they got him for, you know, uh, another two years. And, and um, you know, if he is, you know, feeling his back's flaring up, you know, are they going to risk throwing him out there after winning a World Series and, you know, hopefully getting him back healthy in, uh, you know, 2021 and 22? Um, you know, I would think maybe they would um, take it easy with him. So that's just where the risk is there. Right. I, I, I think you probably know that I've been off of uh, Scherzer uh, most of the draft season, but um, I've been back on him a little bit more than um, uh, I had been with this short season just because it's a shorter season and uh, yeah, because of the back. And I think he maybe just trucked his way through this, uh, this season um, uh, with a little less chance of getting that, uh, that injury and um, those strikeouts, they're just huge and they're going to play big time. Uh, yeah. I mean, short I, season. I get the, um, the draw. I mean, you know, if he pitches and, and, you know, they've got questionable bullpen, um, you know, so they rely on him to go deep into games when he is off though, you know, and it's funny that we talk about guys that give up, give up homers. I mean, you know, Verlander gives up home runs. Scherzer gives up home runs. Like when they miss, they get hit. Um, with him, um, they, they, they need him to go deep in these games. And, uh, you know, and if he does, he's kind of got first rounder that, I mean, the difference in his total strikeouts at the end of the year, if he's healthy is, is going to be huge for people that draft him. Uh, I just think, you know, there's a lot of risk there. And, uh, I just, you know, I get Cole, I get DeGrom in the first round. Scherzer with that back injury is just to me, it's a little too, uh, too rich for my blood. So. Right. That's it. 
So uh, I think um, if you're okay with it, I think we could wrap it up there. I had two more things, but maybe we can just add them on to uh, to another show at a later time. Sure. Um, Next, I, you can do another one. We can do another one where you're um, a guest host because you know I'm, you're more than you're more than welcome to do to keep doing this because you did a great job. I had fun. Yeah, I appreciate that, and it, it's I like almost I almost like this better. It's it's, it's less um, less stress for me, and um, it allows you to go out get tanked. You got the designated driver here, so uh, you know, <laughs> I'll make sure. I, to- I have myself together. I, I'm not going to put any gas in the tank or anything, but, uh, you know, um, but the other cool thing here is that you get to pick the music and, uh, you know, it's kind of something that you and I have enjoyed with these shows. Uh, the funny thing is, is we don't know what the music is while we're doing the show. So it's kind of something that the, the listeners not always, know before we Mike know, <laughs> or he'll, yeah. he'll demand the music before he even comes on. And I like that about, uh, I dig that about, uh, about him is, uh, you know, he's, uh, I think he likes that aspect of, of the show. And, and, and as, as I do as well as the producer, uh, yeah. I get to throw that in there, but, uh, I appreciate you letting me host and, uh, look forward to doing it again and, uh, look forward to, uh, more drafts and, uh, the upcoming baseball season. We're very excited and, uh, we hope to hear from you soon. So, uh, yeah. anything else you want to sign off on? I'll say that I'm just going to throw it out there. I think Zach Greinke opts out, and I think Mike Zunino opts out. So draft Michael Perez in the 50th round. Wow, two more bonus things. So you heard it here <laughs> first, folks. So uh, he is Zach Roto at Zach Roto on Twitter. I am Craig McGee at C McGee, M A G E E, 523 on Twitter. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Can't stop addicted to the shindig. Chop chop, he says I'm gonna win big. Choose not a life of imitation. Distant us into the reservation. Keep off the pistol that you pay for. Just pump the feeling that you stay for. In time, I want to be a best friend. Eastside love is living on the West End. Knocked out before you better come to. Don't die, you know the truth is some do. Go write your message on the pavement. Burn so bright, I wonder what the wave meant. Kickstart the golden generation. Stop the gods from engineering Feel no need for any interfering Your image in the dictionary This life is more than ordinary Can I get you maybe even three of these Coming from a space to teach you of the Pleiades Can't stop the spirits when they need you This life is more than just a read-through